Well, you know, your Bibles ought to be open to Titus chapter number two, Titus chapter two. We're actually in the 12th lesson in the second division of our series titled Order in the Church. That's order in the church. And so let's start reading tonight at verse number one of Titus chapter two. Paul says there to Titus, he says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, that the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior or conduct as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, Paul says, showing thyself a pattern or an example of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. And here in Titus chapter 2, we've been looking at over the last three weeks the responsibilities of the members to ensure that there is order in the church. And we've learned that from chapter two, the pastor or the elders, the older men, the older women, the younger women and the young men and Christians who are employed or in the employ of someone. The Bible teaches that we must demonstrate here in Titus chapter two conduct that represents sound doctrine. Now, for the last three weeks, we've actually been looking at the reason we're able to have this conduct that represents sound doctrine. There is a reason as we begin to get into on last week. And so notice again, verse 11, Paul says, for or because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Paul says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. And so we learn from verses 11 and 12 that we can and as Christians, we are to have conduct that represents sound doctrine. The Bible teaches us that we can. First of all, we can have conduct that represents sound doctrine. And we're able to have conduct that represents sound doctrine. Why? Paul says, because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God, by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, has extended his grace towards all of mankind for salvation. That's what God did. And so we said that to set things in order in the church, point number seven, we said the church must demonstrate that we have received the grace of God. To set things in order in the church, what must the church do? We must demonstrate that we have received the grace of God. Again, this is where we've been working for the last few weeks. And we learned under point number seven that the church must demonstrate that, first of all, letter A, grace saves. Grace saves men from sin. We said that as Christians, we have to demonstrate that no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. If they will simply believe 
if they will simply accept or confess Jesus Christ. Grace can save any man. Then in verse number 12, we learn that grace, we learn rather what grace does. Grace teaches us. We discovered that grace teaches us. Again, grace teaches us some things. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly where? In this present world. And we've discovered through our study that the word teaching that Paul uh, uses here is actually child training. And go figure, we are the children of the Most High God. Who are we? We're God's children. And so we said God, by his grace, is able to tutor us, his children. He's able to educate us. Grace is our tutor. It's our educator. Grace is even our disciplinarian. And so we learned that the church must demonstrate that letter B under point number seven, God's grace teaches us to live godly lives in this present world. What does grace teach us? It teaches us to live godly lives in this present world. Not in and of our own strength, might, or power, but it's the grace of God that we're afforded that teaches us that we're able to live godly lives. In other words, we said grace enables us to do what we cannot do naturally in and of ourselves. What is that that grace teaches us? What is that that grace enables us to do? It teaches us and it enables us to live godly lives. Grace is the enabler whereby the child of God has the ability to live a godly life. And so we also learn that God's grace not only teaches us, but should motivate us. We discovered that the grace of God should motivate us to live differently than the world does. The world loves the world. But as Christians, as children of God, we should not. The Bible says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So grace gives us then the motivation and the power to obey God. What is God's expectation of us? That we would live godly in this present world. And so look at verse 13. This is the motivation that grace provides us. It says, looking or watching for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God, of rather the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so last week we said that the church must demonstrate that letter C, still under point number seven, God's grace gives us eternal hope in this present world. God's grace gives us eternal hope in this present world. We said that grace motivates us to live godly in this present world while watching for the appearing or the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What does grace do? Grace motivates us to live godly lives in this present world here and now while, we'll, while we are watching for the return or the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Church, God's grace teaches us to look for eternal hope in this present world, in the here and now. And we actually spent all of our time on last week further explaining this particular truth because I believe I said that the church has fallen into the trap of the enemy. And as a result, we have stopped looking for our blessed hope. And so we learned that grace teaches us to be on the lookout, to be on the lookout for the return of Jesus Christ for his church, for us. This means that this particular hope, that is our blessed hope, should always be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. We said it should be our supreme hope. Nothing should be more superior 
in our hearts and in our minds than the expectation or the hope that we have of Christ's return. Our eternal hope is the ultimate of hopes. It is the ultimate of hopes. It's the ultimate of hope for us because it is the hope of eternal life, everlasting life with God. And of and it's also the hope of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's why it's the ultimate hope. Then we turn to Second Peter chapter three and we turn there to show us why the enemy doesn't want us to have this hope or to maintain this hope, this blessed hope of the appearing or the return of Jesus Christ. And we actually looked at verses one through 18 and we learned that Satan, who is our enemy, he wants us to change our belief and he wants us to modify our conduct. If you and I change what we believe as Christians, it is going to impact our conduct. Our doctrinal beliefs, what we believe and how we believe it impacts the way we conduct ourselves. It impacts how you and I live our lives. So Satan wants us to change our belief. He wants us to change our conduct. He doesn't want us, we said, to have confidence or hope in the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we also learn that as we hope for Christ's return, we have to realize what's going to happen or occur when he comes back. We discover in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the world as we now know it will be no more. In fact, the world, the Bible says, will be burned up. The world is going to be destroyed by fire. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that emerges. And so we said our eternal hope should cause us then to live godly lives. Seeing that these things, Peter said, be, seeing that these things are going to surely come to pass, Peter asked the question, what sort of person ought we to be? What kind of people should we be? And so we said that, again, our eternal hope should cause us to live godly lives and not hold on to stuff that's going to burn up and pass away. This is why grace teaches us to look then for eternal hope in this present world. This world is temporary. It is passing away with its lust. Amen. We also noted that the danger of not looking for or watching for the blessed eternal hope of Christ's return in this present world. We said that the danger is that we can be led away by false or inaccurate, inaccurate doctrine, by false or inaccurate teaching. And as a result, we'll stop living according to the sound doctrine that we've been taught. And so Peter said two major things as we closed out Second uh, Peter chapter 3, in particular in verse 18. He said there are three things, or excuse me, two major things that we should note. And this is where we ended on last week. He said, but grow in grace. Grow in grace. The grace that teaches us to look for our eternal hope. He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter said to him, be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we ended last week by asking ourselves two questions. First, we said, is this my mindset? In other words, does my conduct reflect an expectant attitude? Am I living my life in anticipation of the blessed hope? Does my conduct, the way I live my life, does it demonstrate that I have an expectancy about me? Secondly, we said, am I looking for the eternal hope right now? Am I looking for Christ's return right now? 
we know that the Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour that the son of man is going to re return. But the Bible also teaches us to live as though he could return right now. So am I looking for the eternal hope of Christ right now, meaning in this present world? And that's where we ended on last week. And so turn back, if you're not already there, to Titus chapter 2. Some of you I was just reviewing there, but, and I didn't necessarily want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3, but I heard some of you turning. So if you've turned, go back to 2 uh, Titus chapter 2 with me. And, and let's read verses 11 through 14 together. Notice it. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, that is, enthusiastic of good works. And so notice why Jesus gave himself for us. Paul says it's so that he could redeem us. Jesus gave himself to purchase us. Sin was our master. Jesus did not want us to remain dominated, controlled, manipulated, and mastered by sin. So he gave himself for us that he might purchase us anew. But he says that he would purchase us from all iniquity or from all sin. Sin masters you. If you are engaged in a practice of sin, it is dominating your life. Not only that, Paul lets us know that he gave himself to purify us. That is to clean us up. Why? For himself. Our Savior, who did no sin, he gave himself. He shed his innocent blood. He laid down his body for us on the cross. He died bearing our penalty in his body. That is the penalty of death for sin. He did it so that he could not only redeem us, purchase us anew, that is to free us from sin, but he also did it so that he could purify us unto himself. He who is pure deserves someone who is pure. How many of you know that when Jesus returns, he's coming back for, the Bible says, his bride, who is the church. Amen. He's coming back to be wed to the church throughout all eternity. We're to be his bride. Amen. And Jesus deserves a pure bride. Amen. He is a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing. Don't you think he deserves a pure bride? So he gave himself not only to redeem us or to purchase us or to make us free from sin, but to also purify us. That is to clean us up for himself so that we could. He also says be zealous that is eager to do good works. Sin hinders our desire to do good works. Jesus gave himself to free us from sin, to purify us unto himself so that we would be capable of being zealous that is eager to do good works. Being zealous for good works is the conduct that demonstrates sound doctrine. If we've been taught sound doctrine, it ought to evidence itself in our zeal to do good works. And so finally, and this is all we'll cover tonight, amen? Finally, under point number seven, the church must demonstrate letter D that God's grace teaches us to be zealous to do good works in this present world. The church must demonstrate that God's grace teaches us 
to be zealous to do good works in this present world. You don't want to wait to get to heaven to do the will of God. Grace teaches us to do good works now. Amen. And to be zealous to do these works. In this present world, church, God's grace does not teach us. um, God's grace does not just rather teach us to do good works, but it teaches us to be zealous of good works. To be zealous of good works. To be zealous of good works means that we are to have a fanaticism towards good works. It means that we are to have enthusiasm regarding good works. We're to have passion as it relates to good works. You know, this is the word, make note of this, that the Apostle Paul used in Galatians 1.14, chapter 1, verse 14. Paul used this same word, zeal or zealous. He used it to describe himself and his commitment to the Jewish traditions of his forefathers before he met Jesus Christ. Paul was zealous. He was a zealot. Amen. He was eager. He was enthusiastic. He was fanatical. He was driven. He was passionate to fulfill, as he understood under the old covenant, the will of God. So Paul uses this term again. He uses it in Galatians uh, chapter one, verse 14, to describe himself and to describe his commitment to the Jewish tradition of his forefathers. Fathers. Paul actually said that he was exceedingly zealous. In other words, he was a fanatic for the doing of good works. And Paul didn't allow anything to stop him. You know, when you read of Paul in the book of Acts early on, he had been given authorization. He had been given given letters or papers to actually go and enslave both men and women and to bring them back and prosecute them because he perceived that they were erring or sinning against God. But Jesus, when he encountered Jesus on the Damascus road, Jesus blinded him. But he also opened the eyes of his understanding at the same time. He caused him to begin to recognize and see who, in fact, he is. That is Jesus. Amen. But Paul was a fanatic for the things that he was engaged in prior to Jesus. And he uses this word to instruct the church as it relates to what we are to be. Amen. Jesus came so that we could be freed from slavery to sin. You know, sometimes if you just stop and think about it, we were fanatical about sin. We were all in. We were passionate about, come on, about sin. Amen. And so how is it that we come into Christ and also and and all of a sudden we don't have any passion for the things of God? My daughter's up here saying, calm down. Okay, I'll calm down because I am hot and it is warm in here. Amen. But, you know, it's hard for me to preach the things of God and not express passion, you know, to not be stirred and to to not have and express uh, enthusiasm and energy. You know, I believe what I preach and teach. You know, every Christian should believe what we believe and doubt what we doubt. Amen. And we should live in a way that that evidences what we believe to the end that we represent Christ. That's what sound doctrine teaches us to do. Amen. So. Again, what it means to be zealous unto good works is that our good deeds should be done out of a love for God. Whatever you have passion for, 
It's generally something motivating that. And what should motivate our passion to do good works is our love for God. Not only that, our good works should be done out of a desire to be obedient to the word of God. Amen. The word of God freed us. Jesus is the word of God. He took on flesh. He hang on the cross in our place. He died on Calvary's cross and he shed his innocent blood. He bore our sins in his body. He became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. So we ought to desire to be obedient to the word of God, to Jesus Christ. So Grace Church causes us to be totally devoted to good works. What does grace do? It causes the true believer, the believer who's been taught sound doctrine, to be totally devoted to good works. So listen, this is how the grace of God works in summary. Grace causes us to demonstrate that we're saved from sin. What does it do? It causes us to demonstrate that we've been saved from sin. Then grace teaches us and it motivates us to live godly lives where? In this present world. And not only that, grace causes us to have an eternal hope, to have an anticipation and expectation of the return of Christ for us. And it teaches us to be exceedingly zealous, exceedingly zealous, amen, to be all in with respect to living our lives, representing the sound doctrine that we're taught. We're to be exceedingly zealous to do good works. There should be no lazy Christian with respect to the doing of the works that God has tasked us to do. We should be enthusiastic. We should be energetic. We should be passionate. Amen. We should have zeal. No one should have to pump or prime us to do the work that God's called us to do. Amen. Church, the grace of God causes us, in short, to avoid sin, to avoid sin, to live soberly, to live righteously and to live godly. When? In this present world. The church must demonstrate that we have received the grace of God. If we fail to do these things, then we're not demonstrating that we have received the grace of God. What a tragedy. Grace teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to live in this present world. And it's sad that if we don't do what the Bible teaches us and expressly you know, engage in a zealous way in good works, then we're not demonstrating that we're recipients of grace. You know, grace is God's power, his omnipotent power made available to the believer to keep us from failing. It keeps us from giving into our evil tendencies. That's what grace does. You know, we like to talk about grace, the amazing grace of God. But what grace does is it teaches us and it enables us to live our lives in a way in keeping with what we're taught. Say amen, somebody. And so grace causes us, I'll say it again, to avoid sin, to live soberly, to live righteously, and to live godly in this present world. The church must demonstrate this reality. What reality? That we have received the grace of God. If we fail to do these things, then the church is out of order. So sometimes we wonder what's wrong. Just back it up. Am I living zealously? Am I living with a passion to do the will of God? Is there this expectant hope of Christ's return? Am I daily watching for my Savior to return? Which is a motivation 
It's a motivation for me to live my life in keeping with the doctrine that I'm taught. Amen. Am I demonstrating that I've been saved from sin? Or am I still playing around with dabbling in with, you know, and, and tinkering or toying around with sin? Amen. You know, this this teaching is so freeing. It's not bondage, it's freeing. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to make us free. Whom the Son makes free is free indeed. And what we have to understand is the Bible teaches in John chapter 8, where that declaration is made, that if we would continue in what we're taught, then are we free. Amen. Sound doctrine is taught us to the end that we could experience freedom to live and be who God has made us to be in Christ so that we're capable of fulfilling the work that God would have us to fulfill to his glory. Amen. Amen. To the saving of lost men. I'm going to put a comma there tonight. Oh, I wish that I could have finished everything that I have, but it is right hot in here. Amen. Let's thank God for his word. Come on, you can clap. If I could stand up here for these minutes and share what I've shared tonight, you can clap for the word of God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. If you're in the house tonight and you know that you don't have a proper relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then I'm going to ask that you would take comfort and take courage. Don't be shy, shame or embarrassed. If you're in the house and you realize that you're outside of a proper relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Before we end this very warm Bible study, I want to give you we want to give you an opportunity to give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that's you, just pop up on your feet wherever you are and let us know, because we want to pray with you and pray for you before we end tonight. If you're online and if you've never opened your heart and given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to pray with you as well. So give us your undivided attention. We're going to pray and I want all of us to pray. And so let's pray. If we have never received Jesus Christ and if we have, let's pray to support those who are now going to pray to receive him. Let's pray. Father, here I am. I'm sorry for my sin. I repent. I change my mind for my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe he was buried and he rose again to give me life. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me this opportunity to change and turn my life around. It's in your name that I pray. Amen and amen again. Come on, let's thank God for all who prayed tonight to receive the Lord Jesus Christ.